0: What a joy it is to be together. Let's turn in our Bibles, please, to 1 Peter. Last week, Brendan launched us into our new series on 1 Peter. This week, we are going to be continuing on. We are going to power on verses 3 through 5. Um, We don't rush through letters, and we don't rush through letters deliberately. William Barclay said this about these three verses. He said, there are a few passages in the New Testament where more of the great fundamental Christian ideas come together. (laughs) You know, when you read that as a preacher, you are aware we are not going to be rushing through this text if one's opinion is that there are a few passages in the entirety of the Bible that more of the great fundamental Christian ideas come together. This is a dense piece of Scripture. And it is, I think, a life-changing piece of Scripture. So we're going to be reading... We'll read from verse 1 just so we enjoy the context, but we're going to be giving our attention to verses 3 to 5. This is the word of the Lord. Peter, an apostle of Christ Jesus, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cabadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father and the sanctification of the Spirit, Kept in heaven for you. Who by God's power are being guarded through faith. For a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Let's pray. Lord, we do thank you for this piece of scripture. And Lord, oh my, how dense this is. Deliberately written by you to gain our attention helping us see that we have been born again to a living hope. Lord, I pray that that reality today would cheer our hearts. I pray that it would give us hope and faith and rejoicing, even where times may be difficult. Holy Spirit, would you have your way amongst us this morning? Do what no preacher can do. Open eyes and change hearts. And would it be all for your glory? In Jesus' name, amen. You know, in Job 5, verse 7, we read, As surely as sparks fly upwards, man is born to trouble. It's not often a text that preachers choose to preach on, (laughs) but it's a reality. And it's so important that we understand that as Christians and non Christians alike, as surely as sparks fly upwards, Man is born to trouble. Life can be, on occasions, just difficult. So you go to the doctors, and they send you to the hospital. And it's not great news. It's not something you're going to die from, but it is painful. And it's something you're going to be living with for the rest of your life. Or maybe your challenges are relationships. Maybe you're single and for you that is a hope deferred. It's not a gift that you really wanted. It's a hope deferred reality because you would love to be married and as you watch all your friends and even your family members getting married, even some people that are younger than you it's a challenge. And your heart is is troubled because that hope has been deferred and you wonder, Lord, am I am I ever gonna have someone? Or maybe your relational challenge is that you are married and you'd rather not be married. Because sadly for you, since you said, I do, things have actually been very difficult. One or the other spouse has changed in your opinion. And as a result, this this is hard. I never knew it was going to be like this. This is just far more difficult than I ever imagined. We're grating on each other all the time. And it's a hardship. Or maybe your relational challenge is in friendship. Maybe if you're honest, you really don't have many friends. And even as you look around this room with so many different people, you feel alone because you can't find anybody that's really like you. Maybe you've never had really many friends. Or maybe you had friends, but you lost them. Maybe they left Maybe they betrayed you. Maybe they slandered you. And you're having to live now with the realities of feeling vulnerable and alone. Or maybe your challenge is financial. If I hear on the news one more time about the constant cost of living rises, I might scream. The bills come through. We just had our electricity bill this week and you're like, oh my word, it's true. They're going up. And the cost of living rises keep coming. And so you begin to wonder, how am I going to make this work? And then you hear about the financial realities of housing. So, for those of you that are in rentals like ourselves, there's the reality that rentals are running out and they are increasing in price all the time. Or maybe you're somebody that's trying to get in the housing market and you're told that good news, there's a housing market crash which makes them cheaper. So, you go online all excited and you find they're not cheap at all. They're still very, very expensive and you wonder how on earth you're ever going to afford one. But can you afford to stay renting as well? And it's a crisis, it's a challenge. It's a trouble. And then there are the many and wide varieties of troubles that come our way all the time. You can choose your own adventure in that. Listen, as sure as sparks fly upwards, man is born to trouble. And the original recipients of this letter that we have in front of us today were no exceptions. The original recipients of 1 Peter were people that were maligned and persecuted and slandered, By those around them. Once upon a time, they used to be just like their friends and family. They used to live in the sensuality and passions of the flesh. They used to get drunk just like everybody else. Peter talks about it in chapter 4. But then these Gentiles living in Asia Minor, which is modern day Turkey, They have given their life to Jesus. They've become Christians and their lives have been completely turned upside down. They just want to honor and live for Jesus. But as a result, their friends and family don't like what they stand for anymore. They find their newfound faith off-putting and strange. So they start to persecute them and malign them and slander them. As sure as sparks fly upwards, troubles fall. And Peter knows that. Peter understands that difficulties will come our way. He knows whether you be living 2,000 years ago or in the sovereignty of God this very day, man can be born to trouble and we are in need of help. These crying kids are in need of help as well. Peter understands that we are in need of help, that we need hope. And joy and rejoicing even in the midst of difficulty. Which is exactly why he pens verses 3, 4 and 5 to us. Because this comes with one message. And it's this. That as Christians, the best is yet to come. As Christians, we're not home yet. As Christians, what we see in the here and now is not where it all ends. This is a mere starting place, a mere comma in our lives. For as Christians, we've been born again to a living hope. As Christians, the best is yet to come in our lives. And he understands it is that, even in the midst of difficulty and trauma here in the now, that there is reason for hope and joy and rejoicing. Why? Because the best is yet to come in our lives. This is a life-changing truth written by a wise and wonderful pastor in the sovereignty-breathed-out breath of God. So I have three points this morning. Number one, our sure foundation. Number two, our sure future. And then number three, our sure friend. But I come to this text really just with one hope. And it's that we will all receive hope and joy and rejoicing this morning, even in the difficulties and realities of troubles. Because the best is yet to come. We're not done yet. <laughs> and Peter wants to show its around this great best to come, right here in this text. So number one, our sure foundation. Are you ready for takeoff? Because here he begins at the start of verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Do you notice the exclamation mark at the end of Jesus Christ? This pastor is ecstatic to preach to this church in this moment. And it can appear to start off with somewhat insensitive. I mean, we've just discovered... They are growing through trial and suffering. They are being maligned. They are being persecuted. They are being slandered by their family and friends. Family and friends are leaving this local church. And their pastor rocks up and says, Hey, listen, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. See, make no mistake, church, he's not seeking to minimize their troubles in this moment. But what he is seeking to do is maximize their hope. And as he maximizes their hope, he knows your hope won't be found within. Your hope won't be found looking at this earth. No, your hope will be found by looking up. And so he gains everybody's attention right from the off by saying, in effect, Hey, listen, look up. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, I remember when I was growing up in in Spalding in Lincolnshire, in England, the whole area is completely flat. And because it's completely flat, most of the Royal Air Force bases are in the county that I grew up in. So we used to go to air shows all the time. And we used to see these fighter jets taken off all the time. And listen, I was born in the Top Gun era, so as like every 16-year-old, what do you want to be? A fighter pilot? Yes, without doubt. And so I used to go to all these air shows all the time. And it was amazing because you'd always see these fighter jets. They'd be running along. And they'd be, then they'd suddenly go. And then straight away, as soon as they take off, they would just go vertical. <laughs> and everybody, there'd be thousands of people there. You'd just go, whoa. And for the rest of the time, you're just looking at these things up in the air. That is exactly what Peter is seeking to do for us here. He's seeking to gain our attention off this world. Look up. Look up. And then he tells us why indeed, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. What is so incredible that he wants to show us this morning. And he continues in verse 3. For according to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Right from the off, then he wants to gain our attention and say, Hey, church, listen, look up. I get that you've gone through challenges. Look up. And then he wants us to see, listen, this is what I want you to see. As this plane takes off and you start to gaze into the air, I want you to see something. I want you to see that you, as a Christian, have been born again to a living hope. The living hope that he's talking about there is the reality of the heavenly realms to come. He's trying to help us see you've been born again to something. That something is the reality that the best is yet to come for you. That this isn't it. But there is something greater to come for you. The best is yet to come. And you have been born again to that living hope. Born again to it. You know, what Peter is referring to here is the doctrine of regeneration. It's the realities of the new birth and our new life in Christ, is something that Jesus talks to Nicodemus about all the way back in John chapter 3. If you remember, John chapter 3, Nicodemus is talking to Jesus, and he's basically saying to Jesus, listen, how can I know that heaven is my home? How can I be ensured in my life that, that heaven will be the realities of my life? And he says to him, well, you need to be born again. And he said, well, what exactly do you mean? And he's like, well, listen, if you really want to know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, if you really want to follow me to heaven, you can't just be born of the flesh. You need to be born of the Spirit. You need to put your faith in me as your Lord and Savior. And Nicodemus goes away scratching his head. It just doesn't make any sense. But Jesus makes it clear, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son so that anyone who might believe in him may not perish but have eternal life. When we put our faith in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, we are indeed born again. Listen, if you're a Christian here today, Good news, you have been born again. (laughs) Growing up in a church like I did, we thought there were born again Christians and other Christians. I can assure you, we're all the same thing. (laughs) If you are a Christian, you have been born again. If you put your faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, he has birthed you all over again. And he's birthed you all over again. For what? For a living hope. The reality that the best is yet to come. But right here, notice the emphasis in verse 3. Because the emphasis here in verse 3 is, how did you come to be born again? You were born again to a living hope, but how did that happen in your life? And when you take a second look at verse 3 and you delve deeper into verse 3, you realize it is the whole doctrines of grace that now seek to dazzle us and show us their glories as we examine this text. See, folks, for all of us in the room, even for us as Christians, once upon a time we were all dead in our transgressions and sins. Are you aware of that? Christian, that's your story. You were dead in your transgressions and sins, Ephesians chapter 2. You were like I was. We were all hostile in mind. We were all doing evil deeds. We were all once alienated by God. And by very nature then, we were children of God's wrath. Listen, you and I, we were down the mine, dead in our transgressions and sins, uninterested in God. Sometimes that was angrily uninterested. Sometimes it was just apathetically uninterested. But the fruit was we were uninterested. Freely following the power of the devil in the earth. Freely doing our thing. We all, once upon a time, lived among them, Paul tells us. We were all once dead in our transgressions and sins. But, at just the right time, somebody has come into your life and preached the gospel to you. At some point in your life, somebody has come to you and explained that, listen, even though you are far from the Lord, He has come after you. For when the fullness of time has come, God sent forth His Son, the perfect exile, the perfect sojourner. Heaven was His home, but He came here to earth. And lived a perfect life. And then died in our place. Why? So that we could be forgiven of our sin. So that we could be redeemed and reconciled to the Father. So that we could be born again to a living hope. Which means that heaven is our home. And when we put our faith in him as our Lord and Savior. In that moment. Boom. We are born again to that living hope. But. How does that happen? How can you be dead and then saying oh I hear this message I see this message I'm going to respond how do you do that when you're dead and the answer fundamentally is because of the prior work of God in your life but didn't I choose him yes but you were dead well how did I choose him if I was dead Exactly. He's moved on you first. He's operated on you first. That's why in verse 1, Peter even addresses this to those who are elect exiles. Elect. Chosen before the foundation of the earth. Verse 2, he's chosen us according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. Chosen before the foundation of the earth, before the earth was even put in its place. And then in verse 3, he backs that up by explaining, according to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again. Do you see it? It was all him. The fundamental reason why you've been born again to a living hope is because of his prior work in your life. And if that prior work in your life had not been there, you would still be dead. Charles Adam Spurgeon in his wonderful book, All of Grace, talks about the time and the moment when he realized this to be true. And this is what he says. When I was coming to Christ, I thought I was doing it all myself. And though I sought the Lord earnestly I had no idea the Lord was seeking me. I do not think the young convert is at first aware of this. Yet I can recall the very day and hour when I first received those truths, the doctrine of election, in my own soul, when they were, as John Bunyan said, burned into my soul as with a hot iron. And I can recollect how I felt that I'd grown all of a sudden from a babe to a man and that i had made progress in scriptural knowledge through having found once for all that clue to the truth of God. One weeknight, when I was sitting in the house of God, I was not thinking much about the preacher's sermon, for I did not believe it. <laughs> Only Mr. Spurgeon can say it quite like that. The thought struck me, how did you come to be a Christian? Which triggering an internal conversation in his mind. I, I sought the Lord, thought I. But how did you come to seek the Lord? And the truth then flashed across my mind in a moment. I should not have sought him unless there had been some previous influence in my mind to make me seek him. Well, I prayed, thought I. But then I asked myself, how came I to pray? I was induced to pray by reading the scriptures, but how came I to read the scriptures? I did read them, but what led me to do so? Then in a moment I saw. I saw that God was at the bottom of it all. And that he was the great author of my faith. And so the whole doctrines of grace opened up to me. And from those doctrines I have not departed to this day. Listen. For I ascribe my change wholly to God. Isn't it wonderful? I ascribe my change wholly to the Lord. See, Peter knew, Charles had the spiritual you full well. We're, we're dead in our transgressions and sins. If you're dead, nothing necessarily happens to you because you're dead, you're not going to even be looking. And what you realize is it's God. It's God bringing us alive. It's God fanning into flame things in our heart. It's the Lord at work. Peter knows it too, which is why he tells us, you are elect exiles according to the foreknowledge of God, according to his great mercy. He has caused you to be born again. It's the only reason why you're here. And what has he caused you to be born again to? Oh, good news. Born again to a living hope. Born again to a reality that the best is yet to come. He has saved you for a purpose. That purpose is to be in the heavenly realms with him in the living hope to come. Our foundation is sure. It is all his abounding grace. And with that ringing in our ears, he then draws attention to this living hope to come, which is my second point, but to our sure future. Look with me again at verse three. He says, According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Listen, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. This is amazing. Like that fighter jet taken off that are all just thinking about my difficulties and my sufferings and troubles. Pointing us to the sky. Listen, look up. You've been born again to a living hope. And then he starts to unpack that living hope for us. That that living hope is actually an inheritance, he says in verse 4. It's not like an inheritance that's a maybe. It's an inheritance that's sure. You will inherit this by the grace of God and for the glory of God. You have been born again to a living hope, an inheritance. What is that inheritance? It is the glories and realities of heaven itself. See, I think as Christians, this is a place that we don't think enough about. We think our home is here. We think our homes are here. We forget, no, we're strangers here. We're aliens here. Maybe I have an advantage because I'm English. You know, however long I've lived in Australia for, and even though I'm now a citizen of Australia, I still don't really feel Australian. I feel like an Englishman living here. But the truth is, we're all foreigners living here. Our home is in heaven. We are citizens of a heavenly realm. We just happen to live here in between. And he tells us, listen, you have been born again into a living hope, an inheritance. The reality is heaven is your home. And when we stop and pause and think about heaven, well, we get happy thoughts, do we not? <laughs> which is what he wants us to have. See, my friends, you've been born again to a living hope and inheritance. And that inheritance is a place. Heaven is a place where there will be no more troubles. I mean, let's just let that filter through. A sure as sparks fly up, which troubles fall. That's earth. Heaven, no troubles. They've all finished. Why? Well, because there'll be no more pain. There'll be no more heart disease or tooth decay. No more cancer or asthma or eczema or broken down bodies. There'll be no more mental health challenges. No more trauma, no more PTSD. It'll all come to an end. There'll be no more sin, no more adultery, no more rape, no more theft. You'll be able to have no keys for your house. No one's breaking in. It will be a place that's gloriously free of all pain and all sin. No more immorality, no more crime, no more war. There will be no armies in heaven because they won't be needed. You won't have to defend yourself. There'll be no more sin, no more abuse, no more corruption. Instead, together, when in our true home, we'll be, a, we'll be in a place that is truly paradise. All the trees and the fields and the rivers and the mountains and the glaciers here on this earth, they are just a foretaste of what awaits us in the heavenly realms. Everything that you see in this world, you're like, I just want to see it all. Great. It is just a shadow of what the heavenly realms are going to be like. Just a mere dim reflection of how good it is going to be to be with him on that day. Heaven will be a place that is filled with music and worship, that is filled with feasting and drinking. There will be laughter in heaven. It will be an explosion of joy. What will it be like to hear God the Father laugh? To hear the Savior giggling at something stupid, we've said yet again. What will it be like just to be around him in that place? And then in the heavenly realms, we will have new bodies. Is that not good news? I mean, maybe it's just me. I've hit middle-aged. My body isn't working like it used to do. In heavenly realms, you'll have new bodies, and they will work perfectly. You won't just become angels or ghosts. Our bodies and souls will be transformed and resurrected, and made perfect. We'll still be recognized, we'll still carry our same names, but we will be able to run, and walk, and touch, and see, and think, and hear in glorious perfection like we never have been able to do here. And we won't be alone. There will be angels in heaven. There'll be folks from our past, Noah and Moses and David and Joshua and Mary and Joseph and Paul and Peter. All the greats that we read about in the Bible we will be able to talk to them and hang with them. And there'll be people from our past, family and friends that have gone before us that are no longer walking here on this earth because they are gathered around the throne room of heaven. Because they've already arrived home. We'll be meeting with them again. There'll be people from every tribe and language and nation. But the best thing of all is that he will be there. Jesus. The one who made it possible for you and I to be there at all. Wayne Grudem says this about the moment when we will receive the living hope. He says, when we look into the face of our Lord... And he looks back at us with infinite love. We will see in him the fulfillment of everything that we know to be good and right and desirable in the universe. In the face of God, we will see the fulfillment of all the longing we have ever had. To know perfect love, peace and joy. And to know truth and justice, holiness and wisdom, goodness and power and glory and beauty. Listen. But when we finally see the Lord face to face our hearts will want for nothing else. Isn't that beautiful? When you finally arrive home, when you finally embrace your living hope, your heart then will want for nothing else. That's the inheritance that he's talked to us about here. Get your eyes off this. There's something better to come. And Peter then tells us, you know, this inheritance, verse 4, it's imper- It's It's imperishable, it's undefiled, and it's unfading. You know, he's not doing what preachers do there. He's not using the same word three different times by looking up a thesaurus. There are actually three different words that mean very different things. He's talking about the realities of heaven. And he explains that the realities of heaven is it is a place that is imperishable, it is undefiled, it is unfading. To be imperishable means it will never decay or be destroyed. Nothing is going to happen to the heavenly realms in your inheritance that could destroy it or could bring decay to it. It is undefiled. It will, be, it will, be, it will never be ruined by sin or impurity or pollution. We will all be made perfect before we go there. We will be in glorified bodies. There will be no more sin or pollution in the heavenly realms and it will be unfading. It will never fade or dim or lose its glory. I went out to my backyard yesterday. We bought a sofa a few years ago outside. We bought these lovely blue cushions to put on it. I noticed them yesterday. They are a sorry shade of blue already. Why? Because they fade. Heaven never fades. The same glory that it has been designed by God to have will last for millennia after millennia after millennia after millennia. It will never fade. It will never dim. It will never lose its glory. For your inheritance is imperishable. It is undefiled. It is unfading. One commentator says it this way. He says, this is an inheritance that is untouched by death, unstained by evil, and unimpaired by time. Is that not good news? This inheritance is untouched by death, unstained by evil, unimpaired by time, and this church is your inheritance. For sure, sparks fly upwards. Troubles fall. Things happen here in this earth that are difficult. It's broken. But one day, as we read in Revelation 21 verse 4, one day he will wipe away every tear from our eyes. And death shall be no more. Neither shall they be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things will have passed away. (laughs) Now for you as a Christian, that's your Inheritance. Isn't it incredible? Born again to a living hope. Born again to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading. For this is not our home. We will all go through difficulties here. How encouraging must this have been to these guys? Listen, church, I get it. This is what Peter's saying. I get it. I know it's difficult. I know your friends and your family are rejecting you. I know they're slandering you, I know they're persecuting you. I know there's the weight of the world itself. I get it, but listen, this is not your home. You have been born again to a living hope, and let me tell you about that. it is a place that is undefiled, it is imperishable, it will never fade. He's seeking to lift their eyes to the realities that listen. Say you have a really good run here and you live for a 100 years. My granddad is 101. He tells me, never go to 101. But imagine you do, 101. What is 101 in light of the millennia after millennia after millennia after millennia to become? It's nothing. That's why Paul says, listen, be aware of these light and momentary troubles. He's not minimizing their troubles, he's just maximizing their hope. This is short here. In light of your hope to come in light of your inheritance, that is imperishable and undefiled and unfading. And just when you think it couldn't get any better, he then tells us something else, which I've entitled, number three, our sure friend. He tells us something about how we know we're going to inherit it. According to his great mercy... He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. Listen. Kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. I don't know about you, but in our humanity, from my perspective, it can be so tempting when we hear of something really, really good to not want to get our hopes up. (laughs) You ever have that? That just sounds amazing! So I don't want to get my hopes up because maybe it won't be there when I get there or I won't make it, you know. I just, well, let's be tempered. If you were English, you would times that by about a hundred. We really don't want to get our hopes up. But Peter wants us to get our hopes up. (laughs) He wants us to have a living hope. He wants us to have a sure and certain hope. And so for anybody that's wondering, well, what if I get there and it's not there? He tells you, oh, it will be. Because it is being kept in heaven for you. Who is it being kept by? Well, obviously in the context, it is being kept by God, the perfect keeper. Is that not good news? There is a piece of heaven that has your name and date of birth attached to it. And it is being guarded by the maker of heaven and earth himself. It's not going anywhere. It's not going to get lost in somebody's bottom drawer somewhere. He's saying that inheritance that has been carefully chosen for you, that you've been born again to, he's keeping it for you. Well, well, what if I don't make it? I I hear that it's there. Okay, that's good. But what if if I don't make it? What if something goes wrong in my life and I don't reach it? Oh, well, uh, you will. Because the same one that is keeping your inheritance is keeping you too. Verse 5, he's keeping you too by God's power. Because you are being guarded through faith for salvation ready to be revealed at the last time. The Apostle Paul said it this way in Philippians 1 verse 6. He says, and I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. He says, I'm sure of this, that he who birthed you again for a living hope will indeed carry it on to completion so that you receive it. Because it's not dependent upon you. It's dependent upon him. He will keep you. He will guard you. He will never fail you. And it's exactly what Peter picks up on here. Listen. Your inheritance has been guarded by a sure friend. It is being kept in heaven for you, and you are being kept for it. Oh my friends, what a breathtaking reality then this is, isn't it? It's amazing. So much packed into three verses. For as sure as sparks fly upwards, man is born to trouble. We will all face health challenges. We will face relationship challenges. Likely we will have money problems at different points. Many will likely even face persecution. Friends and family. That will have nothing to do with you. Because they will see what you live for and begin to understand it with increasing power. And then go, I hate that. And they will cancel you potentially. Minimally. Start to avoid you. But what Peter wants you to understand... And what God wants us to understand is the reality that as Christians, the best is yet to come. According to his great mercy, he has caused you to be born again to a living hope. A living hope pointing to the reality that the best is yet to come. And that living hope is an inheritance that is imperishable and undefiled and unfading. And it is an inheritance that is being kept by God the Father for you, who is also keeping you for it. And so my friends, I want to encourage you as a church and as individuals. May we fix our eyes upward. Not here. There's no hope coming from within. There's no hope coming from here. Let us find hope upward. And then live in the here. In light of what we see. For blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, let's pray. Oh Lord, as we gather around your word, we realize that we are on holy ground as you point us to the inheritance that is to come. Lord, I thank you that all the things we've looked at this morning are not maybes or let's hope they happen. They are sure and certain for us. Oh Lord, help us then to be people that realize even in the midst of troubles, we're not to minimize those troubles, but we are to maximize the hope. And that hope isn't found here. It's found as we look up. Oh Lord, as we look up, would we all realize that in reality, we have 10,000 reasons to praise. For the best is yet to come. The best is with you. And you are guarding us for that day. So may you receive the worship you deserve Lord. With all glory go to you.